Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany in Rome. Katie also in Rome, usually in Seattle. And today we're sitting in a beautiful garden. Uh, Do you want to describe what this garden is? And it sounds like Barry Manilow's in the background or something? I think so. Yeah, sorry about the music. So this is the, the garden of Hotel Donna Camilla Savelli, where Katie and I are hosting our amazing Roman adventure, our first ever Roman adventure. And we have some of our guests with us today. Yeah. Should we go around and have you say hello, just so we know? Uh, we get, not everybody could come, but you guys are the brave ones. Do you want to just say your first name? Hi, my name is Bert. You can also say other things. If you have anything else you really want to get off your chest, feel free. Okay. I'm Jackie, four-letter Jackie. Okay. I'm John, visiting from Seattle. All right. Hi, I'm Lindy. Hi, I'm Michael, and also from Seattle. <laughs> I know, we got a few Seattle people here, which makes me feel like I actually am in Seattle, even though I'm in Rome, because, you know, we're all a bit alike, I think, <laughs> if you're from Seattle. All right, so today, and today, we are talking about the topic of discovery, in part because we're here this week to discover new things, I think, but also because it's a fun topic to talk about. Do you want me to start? Do you want me to tell a story? Because, I mean, I think I want to talk about, like, some big discoveries, but I'm also, I love little tiny discoveries, too. So go for it. All right, I'll tell a story first. It's funny because when I was thinking about doing the topic of discovery, we've been doing this show for almost 10 years, and so I was thinking, well, what could I talk about that I haven't already talked about? Because I know I've definitely talked about discovering Raphael while living in Rome. And one of the first things that popped into my head was I was remembering when I was a child and I lived in a house that had an empty, undeveloped lot behind it uh, that was full of trees. And I used to think of it as the forest. Now, I don't think my mother necessarily liked me going back there, but mainly because she didn't have eyes on me. But it wasn't any danger. This wasn't a real forest. There was a house on my left and a house on my right and then some trees. But to me, it felt vast. And I was walking in there one day, climbing up trees, and I happened to discover that inside the trunk of one of the trees, it had like a hollowed out, maybe it was rotting a bit, but inside the trunk was a 1970s blue Christmas light. Like if you can picture those big ones, uh, the big ones that used to be, yeah, looks like a teardrop shape, used to decorate the outside of people's houses in the 70s and 80s. And just the light itself, not attached to anything, wedged way down in this tree. Now, of course, I have no idea how it got there. But for me as a kid, it was like the first thing I ever owned that nobody else knew about. Because I had two other sisters growing up. And so, of course, everything was communal, like all the toys. Nothing felt like it was necessarily your own. And here I had discovered this blue Christmas light that nobody else knew about. And I would have taken it with me, but I was like, no, I'm going to leave it deep in this tree because somehow that made it feel like a more magical thing like it was here for me in the midst of this tree and I kid you not I left it there and would periodically come back and check it for years and then even as an adult this lot never got developed even as an adult I went back and looked for it and it wasn't there anymore and I was like what in the world what happened to my blue Christmas light but I mean it was probably there for at least 15 years I just have to say, that story is so Katie. <laughs> it is just, especially the part about leaving it there. Because like any other kid would have been like, this is mine, and taking it home and put it under, you know, under their pillow or in a special box. 
to, to possess it, but you were able to possess it in a sense, but leaving it where it was. And I think that's very you. Mm. All right. Fair enough. I'll go with that. I did show it to one person. So maybe she took it years later. I don't know. <laughs> 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 that girl that, that, that stole your library job? No, that's a different person. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> She's a listener to this show, I think. Sorry about that, telling that story. But you know what you did. (laughs) (laughs) She's probably like, I don't remember what she was talking about. And Katie was being irresponsible. You can go back and listen to wherever that was in the archives if you've never heard it. But what episode was that? (laughs) (laughs) So do you have something you want to share? Well, I've been trying to think about it. And I've been trying to think about, like, have I ever discovered something small, something truly found? And honestly, I, I can't remember... I have some notions, but I think they may have been made up stories. Like I didn't actually find it, but I, I wrote a story that I had found something like that. So I, I, I really, as, as, as much as I'm racking my brain, I, it'll come to me tonight, you know, after we're done, but I don't feel like I've ever discovered a physical object that I saw as a treasure, but at the risk of talking way too much about Caravaggio today, (laughs) Um, and why would that be? Because I did a Caravaggio tour this morning, and my usual three-hour tour w- somehow ended up being four hours long. Uh, and I and I fear that I went way overboard. Yeah, <laughs> As Tiffany put it to me over lunch, just so many interesting, interested faces. What was I to do? Yeah, I just <laughs> I could tell everybody was interested, so I, I uh, you know I, I offered more. But uh, Caravaggio is someone who I feel like I discovered relatively late in life. And not just that I discovered him as an artist, but I discovered my passion for him. And I was never, to be honest, as a a young person, I was really not that into visual art. I was very into music and I wanted to be an opera singer. And I was kind of, I had blinders on. I was like, there's no other art in the world but classical music. And I'm not interested in anything else. And so I I really, you know, I liked art uh, impressionism. I clearly recognized the beauty in that. But I was just not really that interested. And I came to Rome for the first time in 1997, not to date myself or anything. But, you know, and and the people that I was staying with who were some distant relatives, they lived in Rome and they took us. And I remember, I I realize now where it was. At the time, I was, you know, no, no clue. But they took us to San Luigi de Francesi, the church with three Caravaggio paintings. And, and I remember it was very dark. I don't think that they knew about the light box. Uh, but I just remember being, you know, like, okay, it's art. Like, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. I didn't recognize anything. And it wasn't until I moved here. And even when I moved here, I, I, I didn't know that much about art at the time. And I started to become slowly, slowly exposed to really great art. And I started to learn more and more about Caravaggio and I started going and seeing his paintings and digging deeper. And, you know, this passion for his art that I have is so it just surprises me that this passion that I have just came kind of out of nowhere. And it it was something that, um, you know, I could just as easily have never come across and it would be like this almost a part of me now, but definitely a huge interest of mine that I would never have known about if I hadn't been living here and spending time here and not just sort of scratching the surface and going to a museum because I'm on vacation, but actually like digging really, really deep and and getting exposed over and over and over again. It has caused me to have this discovery of a passion of my own that that I never thought existed. So is there anything it adds to your life besides just like 
general fascination? Well, I mean, it inspired one of the books that I wrote, although it's not a published book yet, but it's Caravaggio is a character in a young adult historical fiction thriller that I wrote, and I feel like I know him. You know, I feel like having written him, obviously my version of him, I feel like I know him. And when I do tours about him, and I have to stop myself, and I don't think I made this mistake today. I did call him God at one point, or <laughs> Jesus, or something. <laughs> that's so I don't know. That's I don't know where that came from. But um, I often refer to him as Michelangelo, not because I'm confusing him with Michelangelo Buonarroti, because but because that was his first name, and I think of him as Michele or Michelangelo because that's how people refer to him in, in my book, and so. And so I, I do feel like I know him in a lot of ways. Mm. Very, very nice. Does anybody want to, by the way, if you have a story to tell, we have invited these, these fine people to share stories as well. If you are interested, feel free to wave at me at any time. Otherwise, we'll just keep going because, you know, that's our job. Okay. So I, I think enough has been said about Caravaggio today. So I'm not going to add any of, because I could immediately, I'm like, oh, when I thought, read this thing about him, I'm, but I'm not going to do it <laughs> because, <laughs> well, you know, you I mean, because I, I, I guess I will only say that I agree with you that I had next to no interest in visual art until I moved to Rome. And there was something about being here. And and I think it's not only being here, but it's been, being able to like trace the personal stories. I have a friend who's very into sports, who's an artist. And as a fellow artist, I was like, explain to me, not that I don't like watching sports, but I'm like, explain to me why, what it is about why you're so passionate about watching sports when I consider you a very high level artist also. And usually the twain don't meet very often. And he said, because it's like, it's not just the game, which is, is the game also, because it's very exciting, but you know all the players. And you not only know, like, what are they good at on the field, you know, like, their story, where they came from, who their parents were, how they get along with different people on the team. And it's like watching a drama unfold, but in the form of a game, which is also surprising and delighting. And, and after that, I was like, okay, I get this. So now if I'm ever in the circumstance to be near him when he's watching sports, I'm like, tell me the stories behind these people. And he'll be like, okay, well, that guy, you know. <laughs> So I feel like that is related to painting in the sense that in Rome, it's like you can see the paintings, but oftentimes you're also like walking around like you guys did today. You're walking around in the actual world where these people lived. And so it's not just what they created. It's who they are and why they ended up creating what they did, which is just inherently interesting. I do think I agree with you that Caravaggio's paintings are more interesting than some other people's. But anyway, we've talked enough about him today. So another thing I wanted to, a different kind of story, maybe generate a different kind of story, is another thing I discovered, a more emotional discovery, which I'm sure you will also say this is very Katie. But in coming back to Rome this particular time, before you all got here, <laughs> I, I came in a few days early. And one of the things I did is something I always do when I first come back if I'm here on a Sunday, I go to the church that Derek and I went to when we were living here. And in part, that's because it's a, a marker of time. In an ancient building, everything about the building and the way it's set up stays the same, but the people slightly change. But oftentimes, the same people are there, so you're watching them get older. We've talked about a man who came with his dog every single week, and and then I came once and the dog was very old. And then I came a few years later and the dog was now a new puppy. The old one had died. And then this year, the dog was the new puppy was a very mellow kind of one to two year old dog who was now very well behaved. It has always been a marker of time. But it's also because I see people there that I knew back in the day. And 
one of the the people I see there is a couple that when I was about to leave here, probably three to four months before I left, they appeared on the show long, long ago, a couple named Rose and Wayne, and they had just moved here from Seattle with the intention of staying here for the rest of their lives. And they were the newbies. So, you know, I took them out to dinner and we did a bunch of stuff together while they were getting oriented. We did an interview. All that is to say, when I walked through the door, multiple people waved to me, not just Rose and Wayne, but Rose and Wayne were there. And Wayne came over and gave me a hug. And he said in my ear, welcome home. And I tell you, I almost burst into tears. <laughs> and, I, and, and then I recounted that. I wrote that in an email to a friend of mine at home. And then I actually did like, you know, you can see me now. You're about to. No, I'm not going to cry. But, but, <laughs> but then I was like, well, what is it so emotional about him saying welcome home? And I think that part of that is, well, one, Rose and Wayne now are, I think of them as new. They've now been here for 10 years. They're the old ones. And I'm the newer one, you know, in a way, coming back. But I think it's also because living abroad as an expat, especially one that's so temporary, who is only here, uh, granted I come back a lot, but was only here for a year. But to have a person be like, no, this is also where you belong. You are a part of this as my home, too. And it was just a, I don't know, it was very moving. And it was a big discovery because I was not expecting like that I would be moved by somebody associating me with actually belonging here because I always felt like I was on the outside of it. Oh, well, that's, that's nice. That's, that's an interesting w- type of discovery as well. Discovery of your own emotions. Discovery of what moves you. But more than that, also, I think a recognition of how much of an outsider I did feel like when I was here. Yeah. That I never did feel like I belonged. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I mean, I belong to you, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does anybody want to share a story of discovery? Minor, big, small? I mean, it could also be something that you discovered this week that for whatever reason you really remember. Maybe it doesn't have a bigger meaning. John has something? Does he? He does. John discovered me as a young woman needing a job back in Seattle when he hired me to work at the People's Pub. There actually was a at the People's Pub a discovery in the mall. I'm not sure that I could say it on this podcast, but... Let's just say that when we were demo- doing the demolition for the old place that had been there for ni- 90 years plus, um, we were tearing up the walls and we found some, we'll say, adult objects <laughs> in, in the walls <laughs> from like the 30s and 40s. Oh, wow. um, uh, you know, toys, basically, but um, wind up toys, and, uh, but with an adult theme. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and I, myself and my friend who was helping the demolition just were like, well, you know, what the heck is this? And um, we did put it back into the walls and, and seal it up. So it's still there. And, oh. <laughs> but, but what I was going to mention was more like I enjoy traveling. And when I do, it's, it's the discovery, of discovering how people live. And I really like I, people ask, often ask me why I go back to the same place all the time, like New Orleans or Virginia. It's, it's every year, kind of like Katie coming back to Italy so often is. I like seeing the people that I met the previous times, but also just discovering how they live on a day-to-day. People actually live there, not the tourists and not the people in the tourist industry. But So that's kind of when I think of discoveries outside of physical objects. I, I love those types of discoveries, is seeing things, different perspectives, you know, discovering different perspectives on how people live. Why do you think you like that so much? I just like learning new stuff, I think. But also I like getting, becoming, kind of like what you're saying, like becoming part of the community, you know, like of, of the place that you're visiting or the place that you're living. I always feel like I'm at home no matter where I go, even if it's the first time, like here, you know, because I'll immediately, for lack of a better word, discover, <laughs> like, you know, where's the good places to go eat or go to the bars or go for walks. Um, but also just what do they do in their downtime? What, what TV shows? I was telling my friend on this trip, 
I like looking at the different channels that you get in the hotels. Like, what are the channels that they have? That, that kind of shows you what's the local. And in this case, there's all of you know, there's German channels, there's Italian channels, and I like just watching them and you know, seeing how different the local channels are in each place that I visit. Again, mostly I think just learning something new. Um, all right, I have to ask you one more question about the toys that got stuck back in the wall. So, the People's Pub is a bar that John owned and that I worked on, worked in in my twenties. First of all, what part of the restaurant are they in? Uh, they're right behind the bar where you used to have to climb up to get the, the top shelf single malt scotches. It was right there, right by that column. Okay, okay. And and do you now that the bar has sold and been remodeled? Do you think because they did a demo in there too? Do you think that they discovered what you left behind? That's a very good point, and they probably did because they did completely demo the entire place. They took it all the way down, so I'm sure they found it. And given the people that are there now, I I pretty pretty would bet pretty much that they just threw it away. Really? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Well, that's why I never eat there, ever. <laughs> Just out of spite. Thank you, John. This is um, a John question. Oh, good. So I, lo I love what you said about how you feel at home everywhere because of your exploration of the people. And it reminded me of Kate, what Katie told me was your motto, which is on your, uh, your Facebook page. Yeah. So tell us about your motto. You remember what it is, for one. There are, there are five. I'm guessing you're do, do, uh, wherever you go, there you are, or when in doubt, relax. Um, and uh, oh, 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 the Friends one? Where, yeah. Every friend was once a complete stranger. Just reminds me of what you were saying about like you arrive in a place and you suddenly feel at home. Not everybody can say that. And I think it takes that type of outlook, that type of every friend that you have was once a stranger. So that means every stranger could be a friend. Absolutely. Yeah. I should mention if it sounds like Tiffany's chewing, it's because we're also having a beautiful snack oh, while we sorry, do this. Sorry, <laughs> There's also gravel. Katie's walking on gravel and that's not me chewing. And if you hear <laughs> flapping of wings, that's the pigeons that are trying to steal what we're eating. So, all right. Does anyone, while well, I'm over here, anyone have a story on this side of the table? Okay. So I work... Wait, who are you? I'm Jackie, the four-letter Jackie from Seattle. Um, I work in the travel agency world, so I work in hospitality for pretty much all my life. And, like, being of service, and that's how John and I know each other, and that's how I know Katie. And, you know, the idea of getting to know people and having them feel like family and like home is so important and that discovery of each individual you know where you really get to embrace where where they are and what they're going so this is my first time traveling to Rome as well as just Italy in general and I've wanted to do it for so long that's what I feel when I'm here and it's so comforting so to know that I get to do that to people and then to come and do that, it's really pretty special. Oh, that is so special. So do you think you'll take, be, I don't know, go back feeling renewed? Or like, what do you think? I don't know. We've been on so many walks. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna, yeah. I might need a vacation for my vacation. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I'll be, I'll be rejuvenated for sure. And all my pictures definitely show that. So, yes. yeah. I've been really enjoying your, your documentation on social media. I've been watching it. Uh, anyway, oh, Michael, I'm coming around. I, I'm, I, maybe I have several. I'm Michael, by the way. Um, <laughs> but related to travel and so forth, I think maybe one good one was just that uh, the first time I ever, well, I got married and my wife was a flight attendant. And so um, we were, we went on a trip to Hong Kong and we were coming into the, to land and everything. And, and then she she didn't really spend a lot of time kind of prepping me. It was old hat for her and everything. But right before we got off the plane, she said, oh, by the way, one thing you should know is that you, you, everybody that ever encounters you, you're going to stink. 
And I said, what, what, huh? What, I'm not even going to get off the plane. What are you talking about? She said, no, no. I mean, you just, I forgot to, to mention to you that in other parts of the world, there are different smells that are really dominant, and you're going to smell like butter to everybody here. And I, I was just fascinated by that. I've, I've remembered it so many times. And it was absolutely the truth that, I mean, I don't think I, that many people probably came up and sniffed me or anything and thought I stunk. But, but it was just that everything smelled so different, being in a completely different culture on a different continent. And uh, so that, that was a great discovery for me. Mm, very interesting. All right. So we took a snack break to go refill our drinks, and now we're back. <laughs> Which we don't normally get to do when we make this show, which is great. Um, Bert, you actually have some place to be. Do you have a story you want to share before you have to go? Yeah, so on the theme of discovery, I'm reminded of a book titled Sometimes You Win and Sometimes You Learn. I think it's good to keep in mind that uh, whether an experience is good or bad, depending on your perspective, can always be a positive. And I don't necessarily have a good story that comes to mind, but... Hearing your story in the beginning uh, makes me think back to when I was younger and um, playing in the sandbox and discovered a couple of things in the sandbox. One thing I discovered was I had these magnets that I loved playing with and I somehow discovered that if you use the magnets around sand, it will pull iron filaments out of the sand. And I had a lot of fun pulling iron filaments out of the sand and filling up Ziploc bags and taking those home and playing with magnets and iron filaments all day uh, for a little while. So that's kind of a positive. And I also have sort of a negative. At some point, there were these red ants in the sand, and we soon discovered that they like to bite, and they're very painful. Where were, where were you living at the time so we can avoid those ants? The school I was going to was in West Covina, down in Southern California. Yeah. That's a good discovery. I like that. It's like a scientific discovery, but as a kid, like a little kid, that's... Yeah, but it was a positive overall because now I know to avoid red ants. <laughs> and the magic of magnets, for certain. Yeah, I think um, magnets are exciting as a child, we, even without the discovery of the iron filaments, which I had no idea of, and I don't even know what an iron filament is. Um, I can kind of guess, but... Um, a small piece of iron. Okay, that was my guess. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I know, I, I've seen my son with, I mean, now he's a little bit older, so it's kind of obvious. But, you know, the first time that you try to push two, what is it, two positives together? Thank you. And they won't let, you know, I just remember his just delight and wonder at this. He's like, Bob, look at this. These things are pushing apart. Or, you know, those magnet trains, Brio magnet trains. And, like, you can, the little magnet on one end will kind of follow the other magnet and move on its own. He was absolutely mystified and excited by that so I think magnets are always a good discovery for kids definitely I was just thinking today as I was walking over here uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed in traveling in Italy that almost everything is always in military time over here like if it says what the opening time it'll say 1745 well when I first moved here you know I had never operated in military time and I remember saying to Derek well how am I supposed to remember that Derek, who was in the military at some point, right? <laughs> so for him, he's just like, just write it down, just remember it. Like, what the heck is the problem? He was not very charitable in how he felt about this. But I mean, that was another thing that I learned in that moment. And now, 
even on my phone, I operate in military time. And you know how you learn something and all of a sudden you see 1745 and it immediately translates as 545? So you, were, you surprised yourself at your ability to learn this new skill? Well, I mean, it's just like something that I didn't know before that all of a sudden is now like inherent to my day-to-day life. It's funny because I still have a hard time with 17 and 15 and I've lived here for almost 20 years. And I still, like when I see 17, my mind thinks seven and I get in, I've gotten in trouble that way, missed appointments and things like that. Well, here you can settle a debate. D- Derek, well, I shouldn't out him. <laughs> Somebody I know <laughs> doesn't think it could be possible that you don't know when you say I weigh such and such amount of kilos that you don't know what it is in pounds. He's like, she must still know she grew up in the United States. Or like how you have trouble saying like, I'm like, what's 35 degrees Celsius mean? He thinks because you grew up in the States, you must remember about what that would mean in real life. In our real life. (laughs) In our lives. (laughs) In our lives over in the United States, where real life actually is. Because it's very dreamy here right now. So, yeah. In my defense, I did not weigh (laughs) what I weigh now when I lived in the United States. When I lived in the United States, I, you know, I knew my weight. I might weigh myself and I might be two pounds over or two pounds under. And I knew that weight. But now I have like sort of a different range (laughs) because I'm a little older. So I know my range now, and like if, if I gain a, a kilo or two or I lose a kilo or two, and I kind of want to figure out what that is in pounds relative to what I used to weigh, I do have to make the calculation. I don't just know. So actually, he's wrong. What about the Fahrenheit centigrade thing? See, yeah, it's harder because I, again, I didn't really live in a hot place before I lived here. And so I really have a sense of like what 38, 39 feels like and how uncomfortable it is and like the difference between like let's say 36 and 39 and she's talking about hot right now for those of you listening i'm talking about celsius um so it is also uncomfortable at like 36 uh, fahrenheit yeah that yeah true (laughs) true true so i'm talking about hot heat but uh, i if i look at the weather report and i see that it's going to be 38 i'm like oh god it's going to be bad whereas and Fahrenheit, I don't necessarily know like the difference between like 88 and 95. Like how does, what's the difference in my body? How does it feel? Because I didn't live in places that got that hot very often. But on the other hand, it's kind of works in reverse. I lived in Boston, I lived in Montreal. But I lived in Montreal that was in Celsius. So it got so cold that this, it, it was like where it met, like negative 40. <laughs> it's the same in both. Negative 40 is where the, 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 the temperatures meet. No, it was not very often that cold. But I do kind of feel like I know in Fahrenheit better, like 22, like, God, that's really cold. Whereas in Celsius, I'd be like, you know, what is it? It's 5 degrees, it's 10 degrees, it's negative. What's the difference, you know? Because it doesn't get that cold here. So mm-hmm. that's my excuse to Derek. You can tell him that. All right, I'll tell him that. This is not really on. Wait, who are you? Hi, I'm Lindy. <laughs> This is not really on the point of discovery, but I had to reteach myself what temperatures felt like after living in Singapore, because when you're in Singapore, it's hot. And so it doesn't really matter what the temperature is, it's going to be hot. And when we moved to Zurich, Switzerland, the temperature, there's a range to it. And so you had to kind of teach yourself, what is 20, what is 15, and how do I dress for that? And what does that actually feel like? And you kind of forget what those temperatures feel like. Well, since I'm now standing next to you, <laughs> and um, you just mentioned uh, now you're living in Switzerland, before that was Singapore. Which one of those countries do you think living to, moving into, felt more surprising to your day-to-day life? More surprising to my day-to-day life? Or where do you think you discovered more? How about that? 
Well, I think in Singapore, I, would, I discovered more just because it's such a different culture. And even within Singapore, there are different religions, different cultures, four different official languages. So there's just a lot all combining together. So I think there's just so much new and the way things come together, uh, that there's definitely more just day to day. In Switzerland, the natural discovery is just, you know, gorgeous. I mean, Switzerland is a really gorgeous country. And right now I'm actually doing a pilgrimage through Switzerland. And so we're doing the Via Jacobi, which is a pilgrim's trail, a pilgrim's way. And so along the way, we stop into a bunch of little churches and there's, I would say, much smaller discovery in Switzerland. I like that. I like that. Okay. After another pause to get more snacks. Uh, Michael, you have something on discovery? Uh, yes, it's different. I think a different way of looking at something, but I have a very distinct memory of discovering reading. Hmm. And I know I would have been required to read or, you know, uh, in in kindergarten or something, you know, something like that. But my brother, when I I was quite young, gave me a book called Tom Swift and his so and so adventure. And there was a huge series of them. And I started reading it and I'll never, never forget the day in the rest of my life. I realized that I love to read all in one session with a book. It never had occurred to me that you just sit down with a book for pleasure or for any other reason. I mean, except unless you were told to. But I just remember the day. I remember the book. I remember the whole thing. And it was just a huge discovery in my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a different kind of discovery. No, that's a great, that's a great example, actually. It's like, a, it's like a key unlocking a door. Uh, yeah. Or maybe that's my just version of it. Uh, no, that's no. what I thought in my head when you said no, that. So. Yeah, it just, um, is it, but it, when something doesn't go out of your head, I mean, when you think back on it and you know exactly when it occurred and stuff, I mean, that, that's, that's a sort of a discovery, I think. You know, so. so one of the things I was telling Tiffany prior to us doing this trip and even, or this trip, this day, this recording, um, we even talked about this a couple of days ago. So obviously, you know, you're a group of people who all decided to come join us on the very first Bittersweet Life tour of Rome. And as excited as we all were for you to get here, we were also like a little nervous about like, whoa, what's the group going to be like? Are people going to actually get along? Is it going to be, you know, fun? Is there going to be any kind of rapport? Like, will they have anything in common? You know, you don't think, you know, what they have in common is me. You know, uh, (laughs) you just don't, you just don't think that way. And I think that one of the things that we discovered and that we were very surprised about was that it wasn't just a group of people that were all very nice and pleasant, but it actually felt like it didn't, it doesn't feel like we're giving a tour to a tour group. It seems like we are a group of friends that happen to be on a tour. At least that's how I feel about it. And that was a surprising discovery for me that it would feel that way. Absolutely. Uh, But, or I should say, and, when we finished uh, the aperitivo on the first night, we were walking out together at the end of the night, and I said, oh my God, they're all such amazing people. And, and Katie was like, I know. And I said, and you know what? I'm not surprised. I somehow knew they would be. <laughs> and Katie said, there are people. Yeah. There are people. <laughs> yeah. Who would show up on the first tour of Rome but our people? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes sense. 
Well, I guess unless you guys have anything else you want to share before these pigeons, we are literally being circled, by the way. <laughs> I just watched one very quietly sneak behind you two without making a sound. We're surrounded by pigeons. Uh, unless you have anything else you want to share, I guess we'll leave it there. Okay. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. And before you go, we are hoping to announce the dates of next year's Bittersweet Life Roman adventure as early as next Monday. Now, a note to you supporters over on Patreon and PayPal, those of you who support the show on a monthly basis, you are going to be notified about it first. So first dibs goes to you. If you want first dibs on this tour, join us as a supporter on Patreon. You'll get two bonus episodes every month. And for as little as $5 a month, you'll also have the solace of knowing that you're helping this show, this little show that could stay on the air. So those of you who are already supporters, keep an eye on that inbox to get the dates of the Roman adventure for 2024. Hoping that you can join us. Again, we will have a limit of only 10 rooms for this tour. So first notice could help. And the rest of you, next Monday, we plan to announce the dates so that you can see if it works in your plans as well. Should you want to become a supporter of the show on Patreon or PayPal, there are links to donate in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Bye.